I, I think if we can overcome the earlier perception of the gospel being against culture, that was what people felt early missionaries did not address sufficiently by more or less demonizing all aspects of culture. But if we see the gospel as transforming culture, then we'll probably see more transformation and our preaching can be more authentic. That's my prayer and my hope. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed, The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as International Ministries Director for Langham. Today, we pick up with part two of Chris's talk with Femi Adeleye, an internationally renowned Nigerian New Testament scholar, teacher, author, and leader for the global church. Chris and Femi will touch on the incredible growth of the African church. They will dig into some tough questions, like why the continent remains plagued by hard issues such as corruption and conflict when there are so many professing Christians. I think there are lessons for all of us within their conversation. Why don't we look a little bit more at this reality of Nigerian mission? Because again, I'm sure that many of our listeners together would be unaware of this, not only the fact that the Christian churches in Nigeria are so huge. I mean, the even, for example, the, the Anglican church in Nigeria is, is, is the largest in the whole Anglican communion, and it isn't even the largest church in Nigeria. You have the uh, Evangelical Church of West Africa, you've got the Church of Christ in Nigeria, and all of these run into the millions of, of members. And I my understanding is that the evangelical missionary movement within Nigeria is massive as well. The Evangelical Missionary Society of Equa, for example, at the last count, the last time I heard, they had some 900 missionaries, which even by Western standards is pretty large, and it's probably larger now. So I wonder if you can just fill us in a little bit on on the, the missionary movements from Nigeria, because these are not just people in Nigeria, but these are people sending missionaries to other parts of Africa and to the West and it really is quite a phenomenon of the last few decades, isn't it? That's right. Again, I would think it's a a combination of the heritage from pioneer missionaries. You mentioned the evangelical churches of West Africa, the Bingham brothers who, through adversity, planted the churches previously known as Sudan Interior Mission, 
which became the mm -hmm. Evangelical Churches of West Africa, now called uh, Eternal Love Winning All, worked so hard. I will always want to combine that with what I've described as the Nigerian discipline of hard work and dedication. So you have the legacy, the missionary legacy, not only SIM or the Sudan Interior Mission as, as it was known then, when you think of the Church of Nigeria Anglican Communion, the heritage goes back to Samuel Ajayi Crowther, who was the first non-Western ordained bishop of the Anglican Church, a slave boy who became bishop in Sierra Leone, started the Yoruba Mission, the Boni Mission, really passionate about missionary endeavor, but related. Let me just put. Let, let me just pause you there to to, to re remind people of that name. It's Samuel Ajay Crowther, right. who was the first the first uh, African bishop, uh, and his years were approximately towards the middle of the nineteenth century. Am I right? That's right. Well. Uh, my my teacher, Professor Andrew Walls, said his life began in the first decade of the 19th century and ended in the last decade because he was born right. so in he spent 1906 and died, sorry, 1806, 1806, 1806 yes. pardon me, 1806 and he died in 1891. So he spanned the whole of the 19th the century. He was a remarkable, remarkable missionary yes. uh, there in, yes. in Nigeria, among especially among the Yoruba, as you say, which is now pre the predominantly Christian part of exactly. Nigeria. But still related to Crowther is his embrace of Henry Venn. Henry Venn was the general secretary of the Church Missionary Society. And there was this passion about the Bible and the plow. So actually, the whole idea of bridging the sacred secular divide goes back even to Crowther. He started farms, he started schools, went into industries such as, such as bond break for better housing for people. So we have that background, that missionary background, which continues to be passed on. So several of the different denominations have an emphasis on mission, both local and global. So the Evangelical Missionary Society of ECWA began sending missionaries locally within Nigeria, then expanded to French-speaking Niger Republic, other parts of West Africa, and now literally various, various other parts of the world. Mm. I think they also had a vision to go across the Sahara and uh, reach out into the Middle East as well and uh, to, to, to reach those lands, uh, the, obviously the great Muslim northern part of Africa. Femi, I've heard or read the statistic that because the Christian church has grown so phenomenally in Africa, it's estimated that uh, the African church may well constitute more than 40% of global Christianity by the middle of this century. 40% uh, of all the Christians in the world would be African. 
As you contemplate that as a, a thing that could well happen in our lifetime, what, what is that going to mean, do you think, for the global church? What, what message is that giving to the church in the West or the church in Asia? One, as I celebrate that, because we, we must celebrate that our people mm -hmm. who are once set to walk in darkness have seen the light. God has caused this light to shine upon us. So we celebrate that. However, I always put in a word of caution to say it's too early to celebrate. Because mm. in my mind, we are yet to be tested. You know, some, some people say, oh, the West is now post-Christian. But if you look back at the revivals in Europe, in North America, and the heritage of the gospel in those contexts before the current decline. I'm sometimes afraid that our celebration is premature because while our churches are full, the impact on society and on culture is yet to be as deep as some of the things mm -hmm. I have read or even experience in parts of Europe. And I can share this briefly. Uh, in the 80s, I think it was 1981, I visited a community called Bridge North in the UK. I went to visit a missionary friend. And I remember he sent me out to buy grocery in a store. And getting to the store, it's a grocery store, I didn't see anybody there, but there was a sign on the cardboard. Pick what you need and put the money in the box. And I was shocked <laughs> because I said, oh, <laughs> what's wrong with these people? Somebody can pick the, the box that contains the money and go away with it. Anyway, I took the grocery I needed, put the money in the box, took my change. But when I got home, I asked, how can it be that someone will leave a store with a sign like that? And my host attributes it to the revival they had, that in the community, nobody steals. And it's in that regard that I feel the gospel impacted culture. And I think we need to get more into that before we talk of influencing other parts of the world. Now, I'm committed to the idea mm -hmm. of Nigeria sending missionaries to various parts of the world. That's to be celebrated. But we need to have a, a, a deeper understanding of the gospel's impact on culture and society where we are so that people will not say to us, hey, you are from Nigeria, you are sharing the gospel, but your country is still corrupt. Mm. So that's the tension I feel about this uh, yeah. growth and witness. I was going to come to that because people do ask that very question uh, in, in two ways. One, if Africa is such a Christian continent uh, now, why is it so poor? And also, if Africa is so Christian, why is it that there's still such corruption, especially in a country like Nigeria, where there's a very high percentage of people who would claim to be Christian, 
uh, and yet such terrible corruption. And obviously, some of that corruption must be involving Christians. So w- what's the reason behind this? And how do we answer those kind of questions? I, from my observation and from research, I attribute it to lack of sufficient teaching or flawed teaching, skilled teaching, not holistic enough to address all issues of life. For instance, in our institute, we had a webinar just last month. By the way, today is election day in Ghana. We are electing a new president, members of parliament. But election in many African countries are problematic. Uh, About a month ago, there was election in Guinea-Conakry, followed by riots and some loss of life. Cote d'Ivoire had election about two weeks ago, Burkina Faso about a week ago. And now there's significant concern about Uganda. The election in Uganda is in February, but already people are being killed, people are being beaten up. And yet... Uganda is 70% or thereabout Christian. Uganda is led by a president who professes the Christian faith. So it goes back to this gap between what people hear in church and how they live. And I think we need to address this more intentionally. Related to poverty, we need to go back to the doctrine of work in scriptures. We, we need a good theology of work that produces and helps people to get out of poverty, not through shortcuts of the health and wealth gospel, mm-hmm. but through disciplined hard work. And uh, on a positive note, more and more theological institutions are addressing that, issues of vocation, and responsible citizenship, but we still have some ways to go. Mm. And obviously, not just the work of your uh, Christian Impact, your your Institute for Christian Impact, but even just the ordinary everyday work of Langham preaching must, we hope, be making a difference if pastors are going to preach the Bible better and teach people how to be disciples and how to live lives of integrity and honesty and truthfulness then one hopes that that will make a cultural difference as, as well as just a spiritual one. You're right. And we are encouraged because besides our seminars and training sessions, more and more theological institutions are inviting us to partner with them or to teach courses. I mean, here in Ghana, the Church of Pentecost is the largest church, but there is the Church of Pentecost Seminary And for the past three years, Laham Preaching has gone there to train their students. The Global Theological Seminary here in Ghana has invited us to do the same. The Assemblies of God's Theological Seminary in Wagadougou, Burkina Faso, has invited us to partner in the same way. So we think with more awareness of what we do with Laham Preaching and the embrace of that by more and more churches, and theological seminaries, we hope to make a difference, to change this narrative of significant growth, but corruption or poverty. Mm-hmm. Well, we pray that that will be the case. You've talked 
there for a moment about Ghana and some of the churches there, and of course you live in Ghana now. Um, how, how would you sum up the difference between Nigeria and Ghana? I mean, apart from obviously size. I mean, I, I've been in both, and I, <laughs> I have to say that I find it easier being in Ghana <laughs> sometimes than being in Nigeria. It seems a somewhat gentler kind of culture in some ways. Um, and although they're both obviously very Christian countries, you go down a street in Ghana and almost every shop has some kind of biblical reference in its in in, in its title. I, I love the one that had uh, Grace of God Razor Wire. And <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and, and other such uh, names from the Bible in relation to all kinds of um, stores and emporiums. So how do you find as a Nigerian living in Ghana that the difference is between these two countries? Ah. Uh, we are good cousins. <laughs> okay. All right. We, we've lived here for 11 years now. And in fact, many people think Afi and I are Ghanaian. I live here with my wife, Afi. And mm -hmm. often, outsiders, those in diaspora, other parts of the world, actually think Ghana and Nigeria are neighboring countries. Erasing mm -hmm. Benin Republic, erasing Togo. But the relationship is such that we, we get along on so many fronts, except for soccer ah, or, yes. or debates on whose jollof rice is better than the other. Okay. I think the significant difference is the population. Lagos is massive, massive, massive. So... Even the idea of the church having impact requires much more work in Lagos than, say, Accra or Ghana. With about 24 million or 26 million people in Ghana compared to the huge population in Nigeria. Ghana offers more space, um, more breathing space, literally more breathing space than being in Lagos or in Abuja. But when it comes to the Christian faith, there's so much similarity. The efforts at commitment to biblical truths, the missionary favor. So what we say about the church of Nigeria, the Anglican church, or ECWA, the evangelical churches of West Africa and Nigeria, we can say about the church of Pentecost in Ghana, which has sent missionaries virtually to all continents is the largest church here so there is a good relationship i would say between ghana and nigeria apart from when it comes to who wins the soccer tournament between the black stars yes. or the super eagles there we go and i think you mentioned fries food a minute ago so what would be a favorite <laughs> or, a or a typical food in ghana or most Ghanaians will go for fufu or banku. We have a Nigerian, we have a Nigerian version of fufu, but I think we have more diversity of food in Nigeria, more because of the diversity of the ethnic categories by size of mm. our population. Mm. Oh, that's great. So, tell me what you're working on at the moment, uh, Femi. Are, are you writing a book at the moment? Are you finding time to do that? Yes, I've been working hard at it. Actually, I'm working on three different books. 
Oh, wow. Rather than just one. That even beats John Stott, I think, if you're writing three at once. <laughs> well, it, de- it depends on when I complete them. Ah, yes. Uh, I'm working on a twin book to preachers of a different gospel. Because people have told me, you've pointed out what is wrong in preachers of a different gospel. Now, can you suggest what is right? Mm-hmm. So my, my working title was preaching the sound gospel. But now I've put the sound in bracket because we should just talk about preaching the gospel. <laughs> the mm-hmm. gospel should yeah. be the gospel. There is only one gospel. So I'm, yeah. I'm working on that. Actually, that is near completion. Good. But related to this is one that I'm doing on Christian witness in the public sphere which again relates to bridging the sacred secular divide. And then related to my years of service in IFES, the student ministry. Several years ago, about three decades ago, I published a book titled, Let No One Despise Your Youth. So now I'm working on one, literally, the working title is don't let anyone look down on you because you're a student. So this is focused mm-hmm. on students. Those are the three things I'm working on, trusting God to help me bring them to completion. Well, we'll pray for that. Um, the, the the middle one, uh, Christian witness in, in the public sphere, sounds very much like uh, John Stott's you know, issues facing Christians today. Is, are you envisaging it being of the same kind of size or something a little bit more modest? I think more modest than that. <laughs> And uh, more easily readable. <laughs> yeah. But, because but I, want, e- I, I, I wanted to go to a wider audience. Mm. Yes. Well, that's good. Well, we certainly pray for that because, in that sense, you are fulfilling exactly what John Stott said to you and to Bishop Zach that you need to be doing, which is, is bringing. And of course, that aspect of uh, addressing the issues of the culture is also part of the vision of the Africa Bible Commentary, isn't it? And and the articles that are in that one-volume Bible commentary addressing issues of public and cultural life. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, I think if we can overcome the earlier perception of the gospel being against culture, mm-hmm. that was what people felt early missionaries did not address sufficiently Mm. by more or less demonizing all aspects of culture. But if we, a bit of what Shaw talks about in his book, The Kingdom of God in in Africa, if we see the gospel as transforming culture and we become in fact more specific on aspects of culture that need translation. And as one of my teacher, Kwame Bideko says, Scripture must be the hermeneutic of culture. Sorry, the gospel, (laughs) scripture, the gospel and scripture must be the hermeneutic of culture. So we bring all aspects of culture under the lens of scripture. Mm. Then we'll probably see more transformation and our preaching can be more authentic. Mm -hmm. That's my prayer and my hope. Well, that's that's wonderful because I think that's what happens in the scriptures themselves. Because what you see there is that the the revelation of God confronts human culture, both 
affirming things which are good and friendly to the gospel and obviously evidence of the image of God in all human beings, but also confronts those aspects which are wicked and evil and evidence of the fall and of satanic uh, invasion. So culture is always ambivalent, isn't it? It's always ambiguous. Uh, and we need the gospel in order to help us to distinguish that. And that, that is just as true of Western culture as it is of African culture. It, there's no culture that it has uh, a monopoly claim on being biblical or being Christian. Uh, it always has to be subjected to that inspection. So, Femi, finally, just tell us a little bit then about your family. You've mentioned your wife, Afi. Tell us about your family and, and what we can be praying for you in the days ahead. Well, Afi spent some years with me in student ministry. She was coordinating the response to HIV and AIDS. Mm. But when the awareness and the management of the challenge of HIV and AIDS became more manageable, she broadened that to be more holistic, dealing with all aspects of student health. So she did that for some years, and then she also left IFES soon after I left. And now her passion is to develop a small retreat center to provide counsel, particularly to Christian workers and their spouses. Because increasingly, there is significant need for counseling, for rest and restoration. So that's what Afi is concerned about. And uh, we are blessed with four children, three sons and a daughter. Uh, all three of our sons currently are in the US. They studied there and two of them work there. Our youngest son just graduated with chemical engineering from Philadelphia and is doing some practical training. Our daughter is home with us. Having studied in the US, also doing some graduate studies at King's College in London. She's home now with us doing some virtual consultancies with the reality of COVID-19. So we are glad to have her at home, but we connect deeply with all our children because we have a weekly Zoom call Sunday evenings. That's nice. We're in, we're in touch by WhatsApp. Hmm. And I think you're also having regular Zoom calls with your Langham preaching team as well to keep them in tow. That's right. We are learning to do ministry in fresh ways. <laughs> yeah. So we do lots of webinars, Zoom conversations, preaching club meetings by Zoom. Mm -hmm. So these are all things that we can be praying for. That's, that's great. Anything else in particular to pray for? Um, well, you, you may have heard, of course, you heard that we lost one of our leading Laham facilitators. Canon Shesby in South Africa. Yes. If we can please remember his family. His wife's mm -hmm. name is Beauty. Mm -hmm. They have four daughters. But just last week also, um, Frank Shai, who coordinates the work in us in Southern Africa, in South, yeah, Southern African region, also lost his grandson in a motor accident. Mm -hmm. Just oh, last dear. week. Hmm. So can please pray for him and pray especially that uh, 
men of our audience in Laham preaching will adjust to learning virtually. It's a new experience for many. Mm. And sometimes mm. network is not as reliable. So pray for stability related mm. to network and virtual training that we are shifting into now. All right, let me, uh, let me pray and then we'll finish. Father, thank you for this conversation and for all that Femi has shared. We do pray, Lord, for the family of, of Canon Shearsby and for also for Frank Shai with the loss of his uh, grandchild. Lord, these dear brothers and sisters in that Southern Africa region, they need very much your comfort and help at this moment. So please be with them, we pray. Uh, and also for the continuing work of Langham preaching in Africa, having to transition in so many ways to this virtual method of, of working. We pray that in, in your sovereign goodness, they will both be able to adjust to that, but also that they, the days when that is necessary will come to an end and we'll be able to meet physically and to, to get on with doing those things together. So we thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've been talking with uh, Dr. Femi Adeleye, and Femi, it's been great to chat together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. Praise God that he's raising up faithful leaders like Femi in Africa and around the world. As we go about our week, may we all echo Femi's prayer and hope that we would bring every inch of our lives and our cultures under the lens of Scripture. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless.